1: This is Living Without Lies with your host, Donna Warren. You're not alone if you've been the victim of abuse, drug usage, or rape. Living Without Lies is here to help. Listen as Donna Warren assists women across the country break the cycle and help create a new life. So now, please welcome the host of Living Without Lies, Donna Warren.
4: Good evening, folks. It's Donna Warren, your host for the Living Without Lies program, which is coming to you live from bbmglobalnetwork.com and TuneIn Radio. I hope everyone had a nice week. And tonight, we're going to be discussing substance abuse, another tricky topic. It won't be long now, in a week or two, that we'll be going into, we've talked about all the problems, and, and we're going to start talking about what it is you need to do to fix things and to make your life better. And how to do that. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but I'm going to tell you what to do. And uh, we'll talk about more of that later. The one thing I haven't been pushing on this show up until now is uh, I have an autobiography available on Kindle. Uh, On Amazon, you can get it either in paperback or, or as a Kindle book. It's called Sorry, Miss, You Can't Get There From Here. And it's by Donna Warren, and it's available for sale, and I hope some of you will buy it and read it. It'll tell you where uh, it's, – it's my life story and at least up until the point that I started straightening it out. I'm working on a second book called Traveling the Road from Here to There that will tell you what I had to do to get from from here to there. I got the title in an interesting way. I was out on my motorcycle, and I was out in the middle of nowhere – And in fact, I was in Missouri. I was in the middle of nowhere and uh, I was lost. I couldn't figure out where to go. And I saw a farmer plowing his field and uh, he was going, you know, horizontally back and forth, but he was coming in my direction toward the street. So I figured if I pulled over under a tree and parked my bike that when he got down to me, he'd stop and see what I wanted. And he did. And I told him where I wanted to go and that I was lost. And could he please give me directions on how to get where I wanted to go? And he just looked at me and said, sorry, miss, you can't get there from here. And I looked at him kind of funny. He said, I can't draw you a map or show you how to get there. But come on up to the house and have lunch with my wife and I. We're going into town later and you can follow us and I'll take you to the road you need to get to. And by the way, folks, we had a Florida Creek. I never would have been able to get there on my own. So I thought that was such a perfect title for the book of my life because when I was younger, everyone told me that nobody believed I'd make it to 30. And here I am, ancient, sitting here talking to y'all. So let's go into talking about substance abuse. Uh, We're talking about addiction. Addiction is is that you need something, you have to have it whatever it might be. There's a, I'm not sure how much of a distinction there is between addiction and obsession, but I suspect they, they're pretty much the same thing. Now, I, I was, as I've said earlier before, I was afraid. I was deaf as a child, uh, 90% deaf as a kid, and I felt like a freak and an outcast, and my mother was physically and verbally and mentally abusive. I was scared all the time, and I didn't know what to do about it. And then at one of my cousin's older cousin's weddings, I discovered alcohol. I mean, we had some beer and wine around the house, and they'd let me have a sip of it. You could have a little wine with dinner. I'm, I'm half Italian. That's pretty typical for Italians and, um, and all that. But at the, at the reception, I got drunk. I had enough to make me feel good. And the thing I noticed most that was most important to me was I wasn't as afraid. The alcohol took the edge off my fear, and I decided that night that I'd found a solution to my problem. Now, I stole the alcohol when I could. I, you know, I got in trouble sometimes because I did steal it. And of course, when you're when you're that age, uh, people notice if you smell like alcohol. You can't get away with it. Like uh, you like an adult could but at age 10 I discovered drugs and that I found not only did the drugs have the same effect of making me less afraid nobody knew I was using them they couldn't tell you know now any of us that have dealt with modern drugs and at that time it was marijuana and anybody who's been around somebody smoking marijuana yeah you can smell it but you got to know the odor to know what you're smelling Uh, And so they didn't know what I was doing, and I was functional, and I took drugs. I took out whichever I had handy, alcohol, marijuana, whichever was handy at the moment, to make me feel less afraid, less afraid of what was going on in life. You see, like everyone who becomes addicted to something, I liked the way it made me feel. In my case, I was doing away with my fear. For some people, I mean we've all known at least one person who was so shy that stand in the corner in a group of people until they started drinking and all of a sudden they became a different person. They became a dis- different person because what any what I know what alcohol and drugs do to us and anything we truly become addicted to. What it does is it increases the endorphins in our brain. The endorphins are the chemicals or what they call the feel-good chemicals because they make us feel good. They make us be up when we're in an up, happy, good day, in a good mood. It's because of the endorphins in our brain. And whatever it is we become hooked on increases the endorphins, makes us feel good, and we like the way it makes us feel. We just like the way it makes us feel. Now, for me, you know, drugs were a good thing because nobody knew I was using them and uh, uh, why was I afraid after I was raped at 11 I was more afraid than ever I was scared before that and I was worse afterward I didn't want that to happen again and I didn't know what to do and of course uh, because my mother reported that to the police everybody knew about it so I became an outcast and I mean I had grown men propositioning me that knew me and knew how old I was and uh, you know my older cousins told me, female cousins told me to ignore them, keep saying no, and eventually it would stop, at least in the neighborhood. And it eventually did, but it took it about a year to eventually stop. But uh, I know now my father told me that I was ruined and I wouldn't be good, that no man would ever want me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, never, uh, I didn't understand yet when I was younger why he did that. As I got older, I realized he was preparing me for other people's attitudes and how they would see me, so that I would, I wouldn't, it wouldn't come as a total surprise. But I got into the alcohol and the drugs. I've known lots of other people that get in for other reasons, but in any event, it what they like we like the way it makes us feel. Now the the addictions can become a physical problem. They can become an actual physical you know a need and uh, everybody refers to alcoholism drug addiction as a disease it is a disease it's a mental disease and in the case of alcohol drugs nicotine and sex that also has a physical component where you become physically dependent on the on the chemicals as well but it's a disease that we can and you know I had a conversation with uh, my business partner earlier today about the difference between illness and disease. And uh, she, she pointed out and got me to understand. I would never looked at it from her point of view before. And uh, an illness is something we treat, deal with, and live with. A disease is something we need to cure if we're going to have any kind of a life. And that's how addiction becomes. We need to cure it. We need to fix it, which means we need to find out why we're doing it. I mean, we know we're doing it because it feels good. It makes us feel good. We like the way it makes us feel. But, you know, that doesn't explain the problem of people stopping and going back, you know, going back to it after a short period of being clean or sober. And uh, I was just told we need to go to a commercial so uh, I'll continue in this stream. We'll talk more about this when I come back. Uh, if you have would like to call and talk to me, the number is 866-451-1451. And, uh, you know, and, uh, or you can text me at 732-995-3969. Or you can leave a comment on the uh, blog, the website's blog under our show and we'll be back in a couple of minutes.
5: Hi, my name is Myra Fox, and I am a survivor. I am the founder of the Castle Lewis I Survived Foundation and the author of a series of books entitled I Survived a Murder Untold, which tells the story of my sister and I who were abandoned and left in the care of a woman who beat us repeatedly. Unfortunately, it resulted in the death of my sister, Castle Lewis, which is revealed in a page to page chilling story. After spending time in the foster care system, I've documented my suffering and my loss and ultimately my survival. I'm blessed to work daily in my community and surrounding areas to give back by helping others and feeding the homeless. I want to spread awareness of the dangers of abuse. You can purchase my books and contribute to the Castle Lewis I Survive Foundation by visiting www.castlelewis.com, or you can call us at 540-999-8401. Thank you. Patricia Fayeweather
0: Harlow is passionate about the environment and conserving our natural resources. She's written a five-part book series for all ages called Rock with Rodney and Party with Perky to Preserve Wildlife, which brings awareness through these vibrant characters on preserving and protecting our national parks and historic landmarks. Harlow has launched a campaign to mobilize green supporters, in forming a united front against Big Oil, Big Coal, and the Keystone XL Pipeline, and she addresses the controversial practice of fracking in books four and five. She's determined to bring greater awareness to the dangers of drilling and running crude oil through pipelines that cut through pristine landscapes, and she empowers readers to take action in keeping America beautiful. To learn more about Patricia Fayweather Harlow and to purchase her books, visit www.patricia-fayweather-harlow.com. That's F-A-Y-E-R-W-E-A-T-H-E-R and play your part in preserving the landscape that we all share and love.
4: Hey, folks, welcome back. It's Donna Warren, host of Living Without Lies program, coming to you live from BBMGlobalNetwork.com and TuneIn Radio. Now, before the break, uh, I was talking about <coughs> excuse me—about addiction. I used to, uh, you know, every time anybody can stop, any idiot can stop, uh, anytime they locked me up and threw me in jail for 30 days, I got clean physically. I got clean physically. However, you know, and I would get and I would get out of there and I would stay straight for a while, but then something would happen that would, in my case, the problem was fear. If something would happen that would scare me and I wouldn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to cope with it. And uh, the one thing that I knew would work and I knew always worked and would always fix it was drugs. So I'd go get a fix to make me feel better, to make me not be afraid. And then of course once I started it, I didn't I didn't I liked the feeling, I liked the way it made me feel, and I just didn't wanna stop and I didn't wanna have to deal with it because I didn't know how to deal with the problem. And over time that takes a toll on your body and you can get pretty ill physically. But the main reason was for that, you see, it's a mental obsession, it's a mental disease. Something that we need to cure, we need to fix it because otherwise we're just going to keep, I'm sure everyone out there has known a drug addict or uh, an alcoholic who they'll go get dried out and they'll stop for a while and then they go right back to it and start all over again. Knowing what's going to happen, knowing what kind of a problem it'll cause them, they still go and do it anyway. And uh, so this is a big problem. Now, people do it for all kinds of reasons. Uh, And not everybody who's a heavy drinker or even – most drug users do become physically addicted to it. But not everybody who's a heavy drinker becomes an alcoholic. I had an uncle who probably drank a fifth a day for 40 years. And he went to the doctor, and the doctor told him that he was having liver problems. And if he didn't stop drinking, it was going to kill him. So my my uncle did go ahead and check himself into a, a place to dry out so he could do it. You know, without going through a lot of pain. But when he came out of that place, that man never drank another drop of alcohol again. And he didn't, you know, he lived another 20 years. And he never dropped it again because apparently he just liked the taste. He wasn't doing it for the reasons that the people who become addicted to it do it. You know, he found something else that he liked the taste of that wasn't, that wouldn't hurt him. And he was fine. So it's a tricky problem because there's no one single cause. The only thing I can say for all addicts is we like the way it makes us feel. Be that good, bad, or indifferent, we like it. And we don't want to stop, and we want to keep in that state of mind. I mean, we all get high. We all get periods where where we're in a good mood, and the world is great, and everything's rosy. Everybody gets that way at times. Well, with the addict, we feel that way pretty much by what we're taking or doing, and we don't want to stop. We don't want to ever not feel that way. We want it to keep going on. The same big problem that comes with anything that's addicting, you need more. Over time, it has less and less effect and requires more and more stimulation. For the drug addict, it means more drugs. For the shopping addict, it means they buy more stuff and go bankrupt. For the gamblers, same thing, more gambling. They just gamble, 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 can lose everything they have. You know, for the internet addict, for the game, the computer game addicts, some of those people can actually physically end up dying because they stop eating and drinking and taking care of themselves. But the point is, we don't want to not feel that way. We want, we like the way it feels. We want to keep using whatever it is we're using. So we know this is why we did it. Now, it becomes problems. The fact that we become addicted creates problems in our lives. For the alcoholic, it can hurt your health, not to mention you can lose your family, uh, your job, and everything else over it. Uh, if you're a drug addict, the constant need to get money, the cost of drugs, drugs are expensive. You know, many people, in fact, most people, unless you're independently wealthy to start with, most people end up doing something illegal in order to get the money to get the drugs that they need. And uh, that can be for it can be anything from shoplifting to robbery to bank robbery to just burglary to for women and men, prostitution, uh, becoming a dealer, selling drugs, anything to get the money. To feed the habit, so that you can feel the way you want to feel, so that you can have what you need to make you the way you to feel in the way that you want to feel, because you don't want to deal with whatever is there. See, I I, I personally like into my addiction to uh, a, a building a cage. I know ever I know y'all have probably seen cages that have what they call a, a walk-through door. The minute the door closes, it locks. And I saw my addiction as building a cage like that. I'm the only one that had the key, knew the combination to get out of it. And have you ever stopped and thought about what the purpose of a cage is? You know, have you ever noticed at the zoos that the monkeys' houses all have glass on them in front of the cages? Do you know why? That's so that says they won't throw uh, they won't throw uh, feces at us and they won't uh, urinate on us because otherwise they would. They throw things at us. So the purpose of a cage is to protect the thing within the cage from the outside world and to protect the outside world from the thing that was is in the cage. I, I saw my addiction as a cage that I could, whenever I got scared, I could run and hide. The door would lock and I'd be safe. However, ultimately, the cage itself became a problem. And in order for me to to get clean and not use it again, now my co- my co-founder Catherine, she once she decided to, that she really wanted to stop, she did, and she never went back. I wasn't that lucky. I ha- I stopped many times and I slipped and went back. It took me a few years to finally actually stop completely. Um, we I just got notified that it's time for another commercial, so uh, if you want to call me, call in and talk to me, call. Uh, 866-451-1451 or you can uh, text me at 732-995-3696 that was wrong it's 3969 backwards I'm dyslexic folks I get things backwards and uh, you can call me and let me know and in the meantime we'll be back in a couple of minutes and we'll continue this discussion
2: of your dreams by making them a reality. Based in Quebec, Canada, Joanne is also a space coach, using social media and Skype to work with anyone, anywhere around the world. Contact Joanne Charette today at 819-360-3266 or email her at actionrealization@live.ca. 819-360-3266.
0: Now is your time. Health requires commitment, exercise, a good diet, proper supplementation, and action. So take action today and get your supply of essential liquid nutrients by visiting www.essential-liquids.com. Don't put off your health any longer. Take essential products today and start to measure the
4: difference. Welcome back, folks. Uh, We were talking about my cage that I built that I consider addiction a cage that keeps me safe from the rest of the world and pretty much keeps the rest of the world outside now there came a point in time when I realized that I had to get out of the cage i wanted i was wanting to want to get out <clears throat> like i said last week you don't have to want to want you don't have to want to do something all you all that's required is a want to want to is a want-to-want-to. So when I started want to want-to-want-to, I realized that as long as I had that little hidey hole to grow, go jump in and be safe, I would never stop. The first thing I needed to do was give that up, do away with that, and no longer make it a viable option. And that was when I finally, when I made the decision that it would no longer be a viable option, that is when I wanted, to, actually wanted to get straight. And at that point, I had help. I, uh, at, I've been a member of both AA and NA. Not, I don't believe that I'm an alcoholic because I can, I can drink. I don't do it very often, but I can. But uh, they didn't have an NA where I lived at the time. This was a long time ago, and but uh, they did have an AA, and half a quite a few people, especially the younger people there because I was in my 20s. Uh, Most of us have drug problems, but we had nowhere to go there, so we used their program to stop using, and it worked. And then later when I moved into an area where they had NA, I started going to their meetings too. And those programs helped me to get myself straight, get my head on straight, start getting my act together, and then doing something to make my life better. And we have so many of the people we see out there among the homeless. They are, many of them are substance abusers. Um, They, you know, they'll get get it, go into rehab, get out. And the whole time they're in rehab, uh, Kat was telling me this afternoon about somebody she knew who had been in prison for 40 years. So for 40 years, this man had no drugs because he couldn't get them where he was. And the day he got out, he went and got high. He spent 40 years planning on exactly what he was going to do the day he got out. Now, that's the mental compulsion. That's the mental disease. That's the obsession with it. The obsession is with how, is the excuse me, I'm dyslexic and I'm having an issue with my – keeping my words straight tonight. Um, that's – it's an obsession with the way the, with our addiction makes us feel. It makes us feel good. It makes things better. It makes things bearable. I had an abusive husband who physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and sexually abused me. Well, staying stoned out of my mind and high as hell made that life bearable. It made it bearable for me. Was it a great existence? No, but it made it bearable. It made it possible I didn't get depressed and try to kill myself. I stayed high so that I wouldn't care, or at least I wouldn't care as much about what was going on. And the people out on the street, a lot of them, a lot of the men and women that end up homeless and out on the street and need shelters were sexually abused as children. They've been raped. You know, they turn to drugs and alcohol to make things bearable, to not care, to just stop caring about it. You know, and all of these things. And when they find their their drug of choice, and that varies with, you know, most of the drugs take time to addict us and physically to where we have to have it physically or we go into convulsions and whatnot. But some of them can addict you immediately, mentally. Immediately, mentally. And it's a hard thing to do. You have to want to fix your life. I think by the time people hit the streets and they're homeless, They're at the point where they want to fix their lives. They were at the point where they want to fix their lives. I had something much more drastic happen to me that caused me to want to fix my life. And, uh, you know, uh, those of you who were in the first or second show when I talked about it, uh, I got to the point with that abusive husband, I was terrified of him and even the drugs weren't working anymore. And one night when he threatened to kill me, I killed him back. I killed him first. And I did stand trial for first-degree murder, and I was found – they dismissed the charges, which in North Carolina, where I lived at the time, is called a non-suit, which meant that the prosecution didn't make its case. They didn't prove it. In fact, the prosecution were my best witnesses because the one thing I had learned as a child – uh, was and the reason my foundation and it is called the Living Without Lies Foundation. The one thing I found out as a child was that lying was a lot of work, and for the most part, a waste of time and energy. But it was a lot of work because you had to remember everything you told everyone. And when I was about five or six, I came to that conclusion and decided that it wasn't worth it. That I'd find some other way not to let people know things I didn't want them to know. And I can tell you right now, the ways that you can tell the truth and still mislead people is I can let you make all the assumptions you want about something, and I won't correct you when you're wrong. I don't have to tell you a lie. You lied to yourself, and you didn't check to see whether what you were assuming was true. Another thing you can do to mislead people, I used to do it to my mother all the time when I was a teenager, is you can tell something in such a way that you know they're not going to believe you. And every word you're saying is true, but you know they won't believe it because of the way you're saying it, the way you're telling it. And, of course, the easiest one is to keep your mouth shut and don't tell anybody anything. If you never say anything about anything, nobody knows what's going on. You know, if you get asked a direct question, answer it truthfully. And as I did in the t- when I talked about this before, I'm going to talk about the difference between truth and honesty. There's a reason that in our courts you have, you're have you told that you must tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And there's a reason for that. What they're asking you to do is be honest with them, is to answer everything honestly. And I have a great example of it from a couple of years ago. I was on my way to work one afternoon, and I got stopped by a policeman in my neighborhood who asked me – and it's 25-mile-an-hour speed limit in my neighborhood. And uh, he asked me – Did I realize I was doing 52 miles an hour in a 25 mile zone? I answered him truthfully, no, sir, I didn't realize that. And uh, anyway, the the thing is, it came out of I told him that, and if I had been honest with this man, I would have said, yes, sir, I knew I was speeding, but I didn't know I was going that fast, and I wasn't paying attention because if I had been, I'd have seen your sorry ass, and you wouldn't have caught me. We need to go to commercial right now. And uh, again, call, if you want to talk to me in, on the show, call me at 866-451-1451, text me at 732-995-3969, or leave a comment at, on the blog on, the, on this radio station on a Living Without Lies page. And we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Talk to you then.
3: Are you stressed? Is your stress driving you crazy? Do you know there are many ways to relieve the stress? The Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic does just that, reduce your stress, plus so much more. Established in 1997, the Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic offers an approach to wellness for those individuals who choose to either utilize appropriate complementary methods to enhance their current medical care, or to those individuals who are on their personal journey toward improved health and wellness through the use of therapeutic bodywork, Reiki energy healing, or hypnosis. The Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis Clinic is owned by Dr. Judy Dean, a registered nurse and board-certified massage therapist and medical hypnotherapist in LaPorte, Indiana. Visit www.spiritwithinmassage-hypnosis.com to see all services offered by Dr. Judy. For free personal consultation, please call Dr. Judy Dean at 219-326-1380. The Spirit Within Massage and Hypnosis
0: Clinic, 219-326-1380. Escape from Hell, A Woman's Story is a passionate book that tells the true story of author Rhonda Knutson's journey through the darkness and adversity of abuse. The book takes readers on an emotional trail from the depths of the despair to the heights of forgiveness and understanding. She was inspired to help others, and her book is a vital tool through this process. Faithful to God and devotional to her beacon of hope, Rhonda Knutson is a perfect example of finding a guiding light that helped her come through the dark and into the light a book can assist you in overcoming your challenges with abuse. The publication of Escape from Hell, A Woman's Story is a triumphant achievement and it can help you take ownership of your own experience of abuse and come through stronger than before. Rhonda is currently working on two more books, Shadows of Corruption and Coast to Coast on a Piece of Toast. To read more about this inspiring author and purchase her books visit rhondaknutzen.com or go to www.amazon.com
4: Hi, folks. Welcome back. Uh, we were talking about truth and honesty before the break. And a little story I told about dealing with the police officer, had I been honest with him, I was truthful. Everything I told the man was true. But had I been honest with him, I would have had a $350 ticket for speeding three, and at least three points on my license. By being truthful, he gave me a ticket for my brake light not working properly. Which was $40, you know, $40 and get it fixed. So there's a lot of advantages. I've throughout my life, when I, I talked about with, when I killed my husband, one of the reasons that the, the prosecution were my best witnesses was because I did not tell them anything that was not 100% true. And I told family and friends when they came to talk to them about things, tell them the truth. Don't lie, tell the truth. And so they knew everything that went on and everything they checked that I told them checked out. Everything they checked because everything I told them was true. Did I tell them everything? No, I did not. If I had told them everything, would I have ended up in jail? Probably. But I didn't because I told the truth. I found being truthful is very useful. It's very useful because when people go check up on you, it's they find out the truth. And they check it out and they find out it is true. So this is why the, uh, my program is called Living Without Lies. You see, truthfulness is mandatory, folks. Honesty is not, but truthfulness is. And this is one of the things when you're dealing with people that have been the victims of substance abuse, they have to learn first to be truthful. And then the second thing and the hardest thing that uh, you'll ever do in your life is to be brutally honest with yourself. Because if you're lying to yourself, it ain't going to work doesn't work when you lie to yourself. You have to take responsibility for your actions. You know, I can't always help what I think. I can't always help what I feel. But I have absolute control over what I do about it. You know, an excellent example is say I feel sexual attraction to my best friend's husband. Well, I can't do much about the fact that I'm feeling that. And I can't do much about the fact that I'm thinking about it. But I don't have to do anything about it. I have control over whether I act on thoughts and feelings. So it's important that I be honest with myself because if I'm not honest with myself, then I'm not going to stop and think and not do things that I don't need to be doing. You see, I personally believe that no one ever loses control. I don't believe anyone ever does. I think what happens is that we get to a point where we no longer care what the consequences are. We don't care anymore. And I believe that firmly, that in most of the time when most people tell you they lost control, they didn't. They just reached a point where they didn't care what would happen. And, of course, unfortunately, some people never care about anything. But the thing is the people that are out on the street have been substance abusers. Many of them have been lying and stealing and doing all this stuff their whole lives. For many men, men especially, if they – If they didn't become criminals and drug dealers, many of them became male prostitutes. And if you think there's a stigma against women who've been prostitutes, try being a male prostitute. And they don't want to tell anybody any of this stuff. They want to keep this all quiet. And the simple fact is unless you go to a country where you're not known, I don't even know if you can move – if there's far enough away in the United States anymore that you can go where people can't find out about you. And – You know, this is the one thing I said. I spent the first, second 25 years of my life afraid people would find out about the first 25. And I was working. I had, after I got straight, I'd gone to college. I'd gotten an education. Uh, I got a good job. I had a family had children. I had a good job. I didn't want those people who I was working with to know what my background was. I didn't think that most of them, in fact, when I first got straight... I didn't think any decent people would have anything to do with me. And I didn't start coming out of that sort of thing, believe it or not, until I joined a motorcycle club 20 years ago. And when I, a woman's motorcycle club. And when I joined the club, I didn't tell people anything. Motorcyclists, by the way, are usually very, um, they're not judgmental like most people. They'll usually accept most people as are and don't push them about anything as a general rule they do. And uh, so I didn't need to tell them, you know, anything. And, you know, uh, a lot of times I felt like I had three heads, you know, and that was the thing when I walked into the motorcycle meeting the first day, the first time. You know, they looked at me like, you know, uh, I felt like I had three heads and they looked at me like said, hmm, does that make it easier or harder to make decisions to have three heads? And at that moment I felt comfortable because they just accepted me as i was they figured out that find out what kind of person i was eventually and uh did that and i've been a member of that club for 20 years most of us are getting too old to ride anymore but or we don't ride as much as we used to but um i met someone there who uh, was a the kind of person i never expected to have anything to do with someone like me and uh you know, she was a her husband was a deacon in the church. Uh, she was a wife, a mother in the civic stuff, and a, you know, very highly respected member of her church and her community. And one night, at a, we were having some sort of a dinner at one of the members' houses, and I found myself sitting next to her, talking to her, and I started to tell her about my life. I have no idea why, to this day, that I did, but she listened. She didn't judge, and she accepted me the way I am. Now I believe that that was God working so that I would meet somebody who would accept me, so that I would finally be willing to talk about the things I'd been through. And uh, you know, for me, that was a starting point. And I got, I got as I went on. You know, I I started writing. I like to write. I've been writing since I was a teenager. In fact, I had my first poem published when I was 11 years old, so I've been writing most of my life. And I started writing my life story. And, uh, well, I wrote it at some point. I did not publish it until after my mother died because a lot of what I said in there would have hurt her, and there was absolutely no reason to hurt her. So I waited until she died to publish it. That's the book I mentioned earlier tonight of Sorry Miss You Can't Get There From Here. And, you know, for those of you who've never done this, telling my story, putting it out there in the public where, you know, you can't run away from it. I had many years ago, I had a judge make me write my life story out, and I would had a rough copy of it. And uh, she told me she wouldn't – I tried to get my – criminal record expunged. She told me she wouldn't do that because the truth would set me free. And if she expunged my record, I could hide from the truth and she wasn't going to let me do that. Uh, We have to go to commercial again. Uh, If you want to call and talk or have something to say, 866-451-1451. Text me at 732-995-3969. Do tell me who you are if you text me so I have some idea what it's about. Uh, Or... You can leave a comment on the blog at the bbmglobalnetwork.com under the Living Without Lies page uh, and leave me a comment. And we'll be back in a couple of minutes.
2: Certified professional coach Pamela Reeves can help you with your relationships. Motivational and image coaching are just some of the ways she can help you enhance all aspects of your life. Her book, Is It Love or Merely a Sick Attachment, helps readers clearly distinguish healthy, loving relationships from toxic ones. Ms. Reeves has put her words into action through Ray of Hope Kenya, an international initiative that provides outreach to victims of abusive relationships there with the goal of helping them rebuild their lives and the tools to avoid abuse. Ms. Reeves operates various business interests through her umbrella network, Nella LLC, and credits her success to her diverse work experience. Whatever your goals, whether striking a balance, reinventing your image, or simply lifting your lifestyle, Pamela Reeves will help you achieve them. Your life, your call. Dial 410-902-5715 or email Pamela at pamrego1 at verizon.net. She's also on the web at pamreeves.com and on Twitter at Pamela underscore Reeves
6: battle with weight loss? There is a solution. Founder of Weight No More Consulting, Deborah Simons can help you lose weight safely and effectively through weight loss surgery. I know. I had the surgery two years ago and I am 135 pounds lighter and medication free. This full service weight loss center caters to your every need as you navigate to a healthy weight following surgery. Servicing all of Canada, Weight No More Consulting takes pride in its compassionate care and guides you through each step before and after surgery. Starting with informational meetings, Weight No More Consulting educates each potential client before they decide to have surgery on the health risks of obesity and the various weight loss surgeries available. After surgery, Weight No More Consulting provides a solid support system with ongoing meetings to ensure continued success. Deborah Simons and Weight No More Consulting are committed to promoting your health and wellness through maintaining a healthy weight for life.
4: Welcome back, folks. Uh, this is Donna Warren with the Living With Lies program coming to you live from bbmglobalnetwork.com and TuneIn Radio. Now before the break, we were talking, uh, I was talking about being honest with yourself. Now why did I go off on this tangent? Um, one of the reasons is if you want to fix your life, there are several things you need to do. One of them is you have to want to want to do it. That's all you have. that's all you need to start with because that's all I had. I had no real desire to make my life better. I had no real desire to fix anything. But after watching other people, seeing what was going on, and realizing there was a whole world out there I knew nothing about, I wanted—I finally got to the point that I wanted to want to do something. And that's the first step in getting your life fixed, is wanting to want to. If you go start there, you eventually will start looking at other things and figuring things out till you eventually get to the point that you want to change things, that you want to do it. And is that easy? It's some of the hardest, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Because if you truly want to fix your life, the only way to have a good, happy life that I know of is to live by your true beliefs, whatever they happen to be. To live by your true beliefs. And um, the thing in our culture, the most interesting thing in our culture, is very few people, in fact, most people, have no clue what they actually believe. We we are indoctrinated from birth by our families, our church, our culture, our ethnic background. You name it, we're being indoctrinated. Uh, Popular music, television, movies, books. We're being constantly programmed and, you know, indoctrinated in certain ways. So we have a list a mile long of the woods, the things we should do, the things we should like, how we should feel, you know, etc. Last week... um, when Catherine was talking about torturing men to show them what it was like to have been raped, uh, there was a part of me that thought it was hilarious. Now, by our culture, I shouldn't feel that way. That's not right and good to feel that way. But I'm sorry. I thought it was funny as hell. And uh, that's part of me wanting to get a little revenge and even, too. But I thought it was funny. Plus, I'm, I'm visual. The pictures I saw in my mind when she was talking were hilarious. And gross and grotesque all at the same time. But we have to know what we actually believe before we can do something. Does that, if I know what I believe and I live by my beliefs, which I do, and if I live by my, does that mean I never do anything wrong? Of course not. Some things are way too much fun not to do them, even if I think they're wrong. And I'm going to do them anyway. But if I do that, I have to accept the fact that I chose to do that. You know, that I chose to do it. No one makes me do it. I chose to do it. And that's the thing people have a hard time admitting in honestly with themselves. That's why it requires brutal honesty. Because if you want to stop using drugs, you want to stop, first of all, you got to find out, besides, it make, we like the way it makes us feel, of course. But we need to know what it was that was making us feel a way we didn't want to feel that made that – feeling good from the substance or whatever we're addicted to that made us feel good. Well, what was making us not feel good the rest of the time? And, you know, there's no simple answer to that. Each individual is, an, is just that. They're an individual. Each one has their own reasons for doing that. Uh, it could be because of, you know, uh, an overbearing parent. It could be because of something that happened to them. Like I said, so many of the homeless out there have been victims of rape and brutality, and you know, child abuse and other brutality. You know, there's all kinds of reasons for why people feel that way. But the thing is, you got to find out what's causing your problem. What your problem actually is. It took me 25 years to figure out that my problem was I was afraid all the time. At the time I started using, I didn't know that the fear was what was was being relieved. I just know that. When I drank or when I took drugs, I didn't – I felt – I liked the way it made me feel, and I didn't feel as fra- as scared as I did normally. But I didn't know that the fear was what was driving this whole thing. Not then. I figured it out later as I started working on fixing myself. I started – found out that was what the problem was. You know, uh, you think it would have been obvious. I mean, my husband used to like to shoot at me, and when I'd sit on the couch, it's. He'd shoot me, you know, I, I knew the man wasn't going to hit me. He was a very good shot. He was a marksman, and I knew darn right well from 10 or 15 feet away, he wouldn't miss me if unless he wanted to. But he'd shoot a hole in the couch, you know, two inches from my arm. He was trying to, his idea of how to control me was to keep me terrified. And I was terrified. I was terrified. But it took quite a work on my part to realize that not only was I, I mean, I knew I was terrified of him, but that I had felt that way about my mother and other things as well. And I didn't realize that until I started looking into it. You know, each and every one of us can be helped. Each and every one of us can overcome substance abuse and other things. Uh, Each and every one of us can do it, but in order to do so, we are going to have to look at ourselves objectively, with brutal honesty, and accept responsibility for the choices we make. You know, right now in our culture, the big thing is blame somebody else for it. It's someone else's fault. That's not true. That's not true. We choose most of the things that happen to us happen to us because we choose to do something. You know, some you might get raped because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. That doesn't make it your fault, but you chose to be in that place at that time. What happened wasn't your fault, but your being there was, if that makes any sort of sense. You know, uh, you know the old saying, you lie down with dogs, it's, you're going to get up with fleas? Well, if you go into bad areas in the middle of the night, at, late at night, there's a high probability that you're going to get robbed. You know, you might get mugged, shot, raped, Whatever. Is that going to happen every time? No. If it happens, is it your fault? No. Not unless you're just down there for, for – not just that you're down there trying to get something like that happen. I used to have to – on one job leaving at 11 o'clock at night, I used to have to walk through a very bad neighborhood to where I parked my car. I was working in center in center of a city. And, you know, I, something could have happened. It never did, but it could have. So I was just told we have to go to commercial again. And uh, – If you want to call, call at 866-451-1451. Text me at uh, 732-995-3969. You know, please tell me who you are, and it's because of this program. And, uh, you know, there's also uh, on the blog, on the radio station's website, uh, leave me a message.
0: The earliest human societies worshipped a female goddess. Little is known about this time because we did not always have a written recorded history. It was around 3100 B.C. when the Sumerians invented the first written language, and everything that preceded this time is prehistory. The prehistorical record includes all of women's unwritten history from 30,000 B.C. to the time that men began achieving political power around 3,000 B.C., Male feminist artist Kimberly Berg maintains a strong position in educating and inspiring both men and women through his devotional art to the goddess in all women. Studying their history is paramount to understanding who women were and who they would become later living in a patriarchal society. To learn more about this important time in our history, go to www.isisrising.net.
4: Welcome back, folks. It's Donna Warren, your host of the Living Without Lies program here at uh, Coming to You Live from BBM Global Network and TuneInRadio.com. Tonight we've been talking about substance abuse, and I talked a little about why, you know, the reasons I got into substance abuse. And like I say, you keep know that not everybody's the same. The one thing that is true is that the majority of the people—and I said majority, which meaning more than fifty percent of the people that are out there homeless. Have substance abuse problems, and a good percentage of your people with substance abuse pro- problems were sexually molested as children. They were abused as children, or in many cases, for women's cases, they you know they've been abused by their spouse. And by the way, there are men that are abused by their wives also. My children's godfather happened to be one of them, and uh, you know he. Uh, you know, he used to come and stay at my house with the kids because there were no shelters for men. There was nowhere for him to go, and he couldn't afford to stay in a motel for too many days. And he couldn't leave the children at home because she'd hurt them too. So men do get do have this problem also, but it's more common among women. And these people, these are the kind of problems that most of these people have. Now, some of the other people out there are have mental health issues. Uh, we're starting a foundation. I found our shelter is going to help people who are homeless and get them off the street and if they want to we're going to help them try to fix their lives we'll start wherever we start if they come to us unable to read we'll teach them to read i'm a teacher i can teach them uh they you know whatever if they need a high school diploma you know a high school gd we'll get help them get one we'll help them to learn the things they need to know We can teach them job skills. We have an agreement with Ready, Willing, and Able, which is a a shelter that has a job service in uh, the city of Philadelphia. and They're willing to take women from our shelter, help them get a job, come and pick them up at 6 a.m. every morning, make sure they get breakfast and lunch, and let them earn a little bit of money doing day labor around the city, they have contracts with different people around the city, which will help people who want to get out on their own, want to be able to support themselves, you know, they'll be able to do it. And this is what we're planning to do. And the reason Catherine and I are doing this is because of our backgrounds, our lives, I was lucky. I'm not, I didn't graduate from high school, you know, after uh, I straightened my life out, Uh, I went back to school, I got an associate degree, and I was working uh, as a a repair person on uh, vending machines, and uh, then my boss came in, called me in one day, and said he wanted to promote me, but he knew I had children, he knew I was a single parent with small children, could I move somebody in so he could promote me, because I would have had to work four days on and four days off, 24-7 on call, which I couldn't do. So I went away, and that was the end of that, and a couple months later he came in and handed me a package. I lived in Greensboro, North Carolina at the time. The package contained all the information I needed to get into North Carolina A&T State University as a special student since I was, you know, I had a GED, but I was not a high school graduate. And also, it was the information on how to go to social services to get daycare so that I could go to school. Now, I do not to this day know why that man did that for me. It took me six months to make the arrangements. But I went to school, and I got got a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and graduated. And why did I do this? My children were the best thing that ever happened to me. If any time when I thought about going... Back on drugs, I thought about them, and, and I wanted them to have a better life than I did. So it is possible, people. I'm a living example that you can fix it if you want to, but you got to want to. And, uh, you know, I've enjoyed talking to you tonight. We are here at the close of the show. And uh, if you want to talk to me, text me, 732-995-3969, or post a comment on the radio show blog and I will get back to you and I hope you guys have a great week and uh, I'll see you again next week.
1: You've been listening to Living Without Lies with your host Donna Warren. Contact Donna at DLUHRS at Comcast.net or call 732-995-3969 for information about the Living Without Lies Foundation. You are not alone on the path to building a new life.
0: You've been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network company.